Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. This is episode number 69, and this week we have on special guest Olivia Vinson to discuss the stigma of mental health in Christianity. Olivia presents us with some shocking statistics as we talk through the culture surrounding mental health in Christianity. While we are not experts in this field, we talk through some of the ways Christian culture has failed in properly dealing with many issues and how upcoming generations, starting with us millennials, are more open to discuss and work through them. Join us as we just start to scratch the surface of mental health and Christianity. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker. I think I just woke up my four-month-old when I said that, but he'll be okay. I am joined with my co-hosts, Rob and Jordan. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Tim. Long time no see. Whoa! Wait. Your voice is better. Your voice is back. Really? Yeah. Yes. That sounds more normal. <clears throat> yeah, wimpy. It's just, just because I'm, I'm speaking two octaves higher than I normally do. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so, guys, before the show started, we're not sure what happened to Rob's microphone, but it pretty much detuned his voice two octaves lower. Um, so if it sounds wonky, that's what's going on, um, just to give everyone a heads up. So, um, anyway, we are also joined with a special guest, Olivia. Welcome to our podcast. Hello, hello. It's great to have you on. Thank you. It's an honor to be on this show. Oh, it's an honor. Ooh, look at that. Oh, we got man. our first honored guest. <laughs> <laughs> We've hit the big time. So, um, yeah, well, it's great to have you on. So today we are going to be talking about um, mental health, the church, and everything in between. So I'm really excited for this conversation because mental health is near and dear to my heart. I know um, that Rob, Jordan, and I have talked about it, I think, a few years ago when I went through kind of my season of crazy panic and anxiety and that whole thing. So I'm looking forward to talking about all of this and more. Um, Olivia, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so I'm super educated. I have a whole bachelor's degree um, <laughs> in worship arts. I like to say it's like a kind of a fake degree. I tell people it's fake. It's not really a real degree. <laughs> I feel like, like it's I, the it's the communications degree of the church world. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah. I I learned how to play chords D C and D on guitar for four years and paid a hundred thousand dollars for it. Oh, that's, okay. That's, that's <laughs> well, one quarter a year. So. <laughs> yeah. That's one quarter a year. <laughs> Can you imagine that exam at the end of the year? Just one strong. That'd be incredible. Um so Last yeah, mail. so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, good. I graduated from a small Christian school here in Kentucky and, uh, um, I'm currently now working at a church in Lexington, uh, in a residency to become basically ordained in my denomination. Um, they don't technically ordain women, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. <laughs> um, but 
and then once I become consecrated, I will uh, have the chance to go to grad school and I'm going to pursue a master's in counseling and therapy. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that is yeah. quite the, that's quite the resume already. So you can play three <laughs> chords or four chords, you know, yeah. um, that's great though. No, it's great to have you on. So yeah, I, Jordan, I think you, Jordan, you messaged us in our group chat, like maybe a week ago and we're like, Hey, you know, I have this friend wants to come on talk, talk about, about mental health in the church. So I'm like, that's perfect because especially with COVID happening, the pandemic, um, all this stuff, I think a lot of people are kind of in this crazy season, right? Um, I was actually sharing with my, um, some friends of mine last night that I just feel like now that we're kind of at the point, at least in our country where maybe we're kind of over like the initial like shock and kind of over the initial hump of like, okay, wait, we're in a pandemic and we're starting this slow descent back to some sense of normalcy. I feel like some people are starting to kind of process like what just happened to me, what have the past seven months done as far as my mental health. So I think it's actually a pretty timely episode to talk about this kind of stuff. And especially in church culture, how mental health can be taboo or kind of stigmatized or, you know, the remedy is always just praying it away, et cetera. So I'm looking forward to having this discussion. I think it's really important to have. Yeah, for sure. Well, that being, that being said, Olivia, so why don't you kind of tell us like, what are you most passionate about when it comes to like this idea of mental health in the church? Like, what do you, you know, in your experience, what have you seen? What do you think, et cetera? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of my passion about it is because I myself struggle (laughs) with mental illness. So Mm -hmm. I have anxiety and general depression, um, Mm -hmm. been diagnosed with it and, uh, for the, been diagnosed for the last few years, but honestly, looking back into my childhood, I realized it started even in middle school. Um, and so as I've gone through this journey from middle school to high school to college and adult life afterward and being in the church, growing up as a pastor's kid where, you know, especially you can't, can't show your fears about, you know, death or dying. You can't show any depression. You have to be happy all the time. Um, I really felt like I had to fake a lot of what I was feeling deep inside and couldn't tell anybody. And, uh, and honestly just didn't have vocabulary for what I was feeling. There was no talk of mental illness. It wasn't talked about. Um, it wasn't preached about from the pulpit. Um, and so really when I, it was only until I got to college where I started you know, realizing like, oh, like there's this whole world of mental illness that, you know, has come down from my family and how do I deal with it and how does God factor into it? Because then I was starting to be approached with people saying, oh, like you just have to have more faith and what is wrong with you and (laughs) things like that. And so I really started to wrestle really pretty strongly with, um, do I go see a counselor? Do I go take medication? Um, should I just pray about it? Is it spiritual warfare? Like, uh, yes. How can I tell the difference between spiritual warfare, mental illness, my brain chemistry, and what does Jesus have to say about all of it? And I was kind of lost. And so, and then as I started having conversations about it with my friends and my family, I was like, oh, I'm not the only one that's thinking about this and facing this and um 
And this was about in 2016, 2017. And so even in the last five years, I've seen, you know, people are starting to talk more openly about it and articles are being written, but there's still this stigma. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would love to hear from you guys, what has been, you know, your experiences with it and what have you seen the church do? Has the church helped? Has the church harmed in these ways? What about for you guys? Yeah, so I can, I can start. I've definitely, uh, I come from a pretty conservative background as far as church goes. And I was, I've always been under the impression that, um, if there's something wrong mentally, there's some instabilities, there's mm-hmm. something wrong, you're, you're struggling with anxiety. It's something that it, it's almost an undercurrent. It's not specifically said, but the, you can kind of feel that this theology is there of, well, you're just not praying hard enough. You don't have enough faith or you're not trusting Jesus enough. And while not explicitly stated that, that actually does factor into a lot of people's dealings with these kinds of things. And um, I was listening to someone recently talk about this and they said, what we have to realize is somebody's view of God has been shaped by some of the things that have happened in their past. So Mm -hmm. um, this is a a licensed therapist that was talking and he goes, you know, a lot of my clients will come and, they'll have this version of God that very closely mimics the version of their father, their earthly father that they had. And he's like, this is, this is something that we as a church need to address because yeah, we have, we are a place of hope and we're a place of soul winning. You know, we're taking the gospel, but we also need to be a place of healing. And that healing comes by much different means than the salvation, the gospel comes. Um, And I I thought that was very helpful, especially with just not, again, not that it was explicitly stated or even that people, if you would ask them, would say, oh, yeah, that's 100% what I believe. Mental illness is nothing and you just have to pray about it and uh, have faith and that will solve it. But it is something that I think creeps into our minds and creeps into our theology. Um, just, just that, that backdrop of things. Yeah. That is the hard part of it. I think though, because in the church, especially you want to, in like a really positive, like optimistic way, want to rely on Christ. You know, you want to see him as the healer and that he's going to step in and address you know, this, whatever you're dealing with. And I think that's where you might see some of the pushback, you know, people that their first response is that. And I think you're right, Rob, it's not so much that, at least in my experience, I'll I'll say um, that I don't feel like I've been around people that are like, mental illness is just spiritual warfare, you know, that I don't feel like I've heard a lot of people say that I'm sure some people do. but it's been more of just that, you know, not willing to totally see it as an actual illness either. So you're kind of stuck in this limbo of, you know, well, we, we don't know how to deal with it. Um, practically speaking, or, you know, with a counselor or something like that, but we, so we're just going to sort of fall on this 
uh, fall back on this, you know, pray it, pray for it, <laughs> get more people to pray for you kind of thing. Yeah, I had, um, you know, my experience in general is very similar to what you guys are saying. I Now I'm a little more in the charismatic circle. So I hear a little more of the, oh, spiritual warfare, um, you know, talk or the, uh, you know, just pray or where's your faith kind of thing. It's not, again, not as explicit, but definitely there's, there's definitely um, bigger overtones in that language when it comes to this stuff. Now, that being said, you know, my church in particular, I think has been taking this more seriously the past few years. They had a licensed um, like guidance counselor come on who actually counsels a lot of the staff at our church and kind of talk through some of this stuff. Um, but even then, you know, some of it was just for me personally, very like, you know, um, I hate to say it in a negative way, but very Bible heavy <laughs> and not so like, yeah, like, you know, this can be this or that. I mean, some of that was mentioned, but it was very much like, listen, if you have the word of God, just a matter of time kind of perspective. So my, you know, experience with anxiety and panic um, happened, I guess, almost four years ago now, where kind of out of nowhere, I just hit this really intense season of my life with where I had really intense panic attacks. I had very crippling anxiety. I lost like 30 pounds in a couple months. I wasn't eating at all. Um, my mind was just spinning, looping thoughts, um, obsessive compulsive thoughts, scary thoughts that were scaring me about having such thoughts, all that kind of stuff, you know? And I'm like, okay, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm committed to the church, you know? Um, but something is like happening, you know? And at the time I was married for about a year to my wife. And I'm like, listen, I'm panicking about everything. I'm panicking about you know, my hobbies, I'm panicking about, about, you know, our relationship. I don't know what's going on. Something is just not right. And it's easy to say this now when I'm, when you're, when I'm kind of out of that season, but it was really a gift in a way. Um, obviously going through it, it was not a gift. It was really hell on earth. The closest thing I've ever experienced to hell on earth was that season of my life. But that really sent me on a pretty deep journey of like, okay, I need to get like real help. And prior to that, the idea of counseling therapy was like for weak people. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they have to see a counselor or a therapist. Like that must stink for them. That was kind of the perspective in my head. And, you know, people would say, I'm, you know, you would hear terms, right? Oh, I'm depressed today. And it's easy when you, when you haven't experienced it, you just kind of think, well, like go outside. It's beautiful out or whatever. You, you have really ignorant solutions to really deep, complex problems. And when it happens to you, that's when the shift happens of like, oh, now I understand. So it set me on a, a pretty long, you know, couple year journey of um, counseling, which then turned into actual therapy by a licensed psychologist and um, a lot of digging and processing and definitely praying for sure. You know, that, that was definitely part of it, no doubt. But that was not the focus of me getting better. Um, it was a lot of soul searching. And like what you kind of all mentioned, guys, this idea of like, okay, who have I made God to be? Like there were just questions, I think, theologically that I was just kind of taught to accept and not question. And I had to find better answers than the ones that I knew. I just, there were just things that I think my mind was like, listen, these are problems. And if I have to get you to panic, I will do that until you figure out like these issues that you have not, you know, um, come to terms with yet, so to speak. So, yeah, so that's kind of my big picture overview. Um, and, you know, obviously I still struggle. Uh, there, there are days where I'm just not feeling myself, but um, thanks to really having good therapists and good, um, like mental health exercises, it's really helped me be able to not to stay in that place too long. So it's interesting because in church culture, um, I do feel like this segment is growing. Like people are more aware. I think that's because a lot, a lot of millennials and Gen Zers are much more aware of their mental health than our, our parents' generation was. And I can't fault my parents for that because my parents 
um, were products of parents and grandparents who went through the Great Depression, who went through a lot of war, and we're just kind of taught, like, listen, there's no time to think about you. You have a family. You just work as hard as you can, and you provide for that family. So I'm grateful for that, for sure, in my life. Like, my parents, you know, my dad really worked really, really, really hard to make sure that we had what we needed, but I think he did so at the expense of his own mental health, um, and that they just don't have the right, they, they, they don't really have categories, a lot of them, for this kind of thing. Like my, I think my, my parents are anxious, but they don't, they wouldn't, maybe wouldn't call it anxiety. Right. So I kind of resonate with you, Olivia, when you were like, yeah, but I've kind of realized like I had these tendencies since I was in middle school. I just didn't have labels for them yet. And looking back in my life during that season, same kind of thing where I was like, Oh, actually I'm generally a very anxious person. I just didn't have labels for it. I would just call it guilt or call it, you know, I'm just sick today or my stomach hurts for some reason. I would have different labels. Um, and being able to label it was really the beginning of healing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you had to say there at the end was really good. And I, I've had, uh, some of some pretty intense conversations with my own parents, um, who I would say are pretty self-aware. Um, but I, I feel like the generation, so I don't know what that would be X and boomers, I guess they they have mental illness but i think their issue is self-awareness they didn't have this idea of self-awareness and understanding like kind of what we've been talking about like labels for things and spending enough time to focus on them to get help on them and so they've gone now 50 60 years with anxiety depression ptsd and now they're so deep in these ruts it's really hard for them to get out of those uh, tendencies. And even your brain chemistry, once they've wired a certain way for so long, it's the harder it is to rewire it. And so kind of a blessing and a curse of, I think, our millennial generation and then Gen Z and the generations after that is we have self-awareness and labels, but now we have yet to see how much healing can come from that, right? Um, there's a great documentary that I admit I have not fully watched yet, but it's called The Social Dilemma oh, on Netflix. Just came out. I've watched it. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. But I, it, I shared it on Facebook right away. Like, guys, get off social media. <laughs> post. <laughs> but it is good. Go ahead. It's a illness. Um, no, but it talks. I mean, it talks about Gen Z. Like they like guys i my heart breaks (laughs) for gen z uh because they are facing these incredibly difficult fomo experiences literally every not only every day but every hour and so their anxiety their comparison their depression is just i mean catapulted (laughs) beyond even our generation and so um I think it's up to the church to kind of find a leading voice and not just one that is response, like reactive, Mm -hmm. but instead one that leads out in this call for uh, emotional health and mental health, which can lead to spiritual health. And so, um, so with that being said, um, I have some, some uh, stats here that I just want to present to you guys. Um, and I just want to hear some of your thoughts on them. 
Uh, these it. are from Lifeway Research, and I can't remember what year it was done, but I believe it's in the last seven years. Um, but we can also say that with the pandemic, these numbers have most definitely risen. So, sure. um, so here's some of these stats. Um, 23% of pastors acknowledge they have personally struggled with a mental illness. 49% of pastors say they rarely or never speak to their congregation about mental illness. 65% um, of church-going family members of those with mental illness want their church to talk openly about mental illness. 76% of churchgoers say suicide is a problem that needs to be addressed in their community. 32% of churchgoers say a close acquaintance or family member has died by suicide. 80% of pastors say their church is equipped to assist someone who is threatening to take his or her own life. 4% um, of churchgoers who lost a loved one to suicide say church leaders were aware of their loved one's struggle. That's a big 4%. gap. So that's an 80% yeah. of, yes, as a yeah. church, we're ready. And a 4% saying no, right. or 96% no saying no, you had no idea. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. And then mm -hmm. there's, there's two more. 68% of Americans feel they would be welcome in church if they were mentally ill. And... 35% of Americans say mental illness could be overcome with Bible study and prayer alone. Alone? Oh. Alone. Just that. <laughs> Get them Bibles to all those mental health institutions. Stat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm curious if, I know that was like a lot of information to throw at you, but did any one of those really stick out to you guys? I think that, uh, I mean... A lot of them did. I think the, the, my brain, it just kind of connects these dots. So I want to, I want to be really, be uh, really focused, but the one about the, you know, suicide awareness with like the church mm -hmm. saying, yeah, like we feel like we're well-equipped versus people saying, no, you really, you know, you didn't had no idea. And the other mm -hmm. one about how pastors, you know, um, I think you mentioned one about like, about, about like how they felt personally, you know, like they, yeah. they struggle with A, B or C. 23%. Um, yeah, and that's how many are willing to admit it. Um, I right. think, and also also have the categories for those terms, right? So, exactly. me anxious, of course not. I just I just have busy thoughts. That's all. My my mind's just busy. I'm you know, just whatever under it spiritual is. Spiritual attack. I'm a pastor. Right. <laughs> right, right. And you know, I think the hardest part, Rob, is that you don't want to like negate that that can very well be a thing, but it's almost become such a crutch where it's like, well, it's most likely maybe not that or if it is it's manifesting in the form of mental health so let's call it mental health so you know either way we can get you back mm. to mental health but i think that those stood out to me the most because um we talk a lot in this podcast about the church and um just how do we better engage our congregations how do we better support pastors because i think we can all agree that the CEO pastor fixes everything, does everything, is perfect, has perfect family, goes to all the funerals, goes to all the hospitals, gives us a great sermon every week, never says a bad word, never has anger problems, never drinks. You know, I think that like it's just causing pastors to go nuts because we're expecting them to be like 
I mean, in a sense, almost holier than Jesus. I mean, Jesus threw temp threw tables over, you know, like, and we're like, well, you can't have an anger problem, Pastor, and you can't say the wrong words, and you also can't challenge us too much. Like, you can't get too deep in our faith. Like, just you know, so they're they're trying to check off all these boxes, and also, you know, their congregation is part of their tithe, which feeds them and keeps you know shelter in place and feeds their families. So that's so tied into so much. And then you have people saying, well, not only is that happening, but you feel like you're well-equipped, you know, you, you feel like you know us, but we feel like you really don't, which isn't really fair for a CEO pastor to know 800 people, right? But you would hope that that, that there would be other people and systems in place where they would be, they were, they would be, take, uh, be being taken care of. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's like kind of shocking to hear those numbers a little bit because it's like, okay, now what do we do? Because that's a big problem. I mean, that's just a big issue. Well, here's yeah. something interesting too, is the one that you said, that's only what is it's 49% said that they talk about it openly with their congregations. Um, yes. So, yep. 49%. Yeah. So like less than half actually talk about it. And then, but they're equipped to deal with it. 80 some percent say they're equipped to deal with it. <laughs> but then it's right. like, well, no wonder the only 4% mm -hmm. actually came to you about anything because you're not talking about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like you have to, yeah. it's like those three things <laughs> need to all be going on, being equipped, talking about it to allow for people to feel like they can come and talk to mm -hmm. you about it so that you know about it. <laughs> And yeah, Tim, I was definitely kind of going the same route that you were going, even thinking about, because we talk about the job and the role of the pastor all of the time and that we've, we've cornered the pastor into doing all of the spiritual gifts. So you have to do the teaching, mm -hmm. you have to do the preaching, you have to do the evangelizing. You also need the gift of helps, mercy, and hope, and you have to go and carriage and you have to visit all of the sick and you know, you have to carry all of these burdens. Also, what's our fresh vision for 2020? Where are we right. going as a church? You know, like, what's the next big thing? What's our sermon series? It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And can we get new lights in here? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. it, Where's and, the and, smoke machine? Oh, Tim, she brought up the smoke machine. Let's just keep moving on. <laughs> moving on. So, and, and we put all of this pressure on it and now it's, it's someone who is being forced to do something that even is outside of their spiritual gifting. Imagine the anxiety. I have enough, you know, um, anxiety about doing something for God that is my spiritual gifting. You know, I'm not worthy to do this. I, I, God, are you sure you want to use me? And then I'm like, God, you can't use me. I'm inept in this field, but Mm. I have to do it anyway because everyone else is counting on me. That just the amount of anxiety that that would put on someone. I I, I believe strongly that yeah, it's what was thirty two percent or whatever say that they're struggling with this. I think it's way higher than that. They just again don't have the categories or think, you know, I I this is just what I have to do. I right, I, it's normal. Right, this is what pastors go through. I mean, you've watched Seventh Heaven. You've seen Reverend Camden. <laughs> <laughs> rob 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 that's no, true though that's absolutely true what's interesting though beyond that is that you see like the results of it you know you see pastors getting like burned out and or ha dealing with some sort of moral failing or something like that mm -hmm. and you wonder how much of that leads back to just an over overworking over relying on them 
and mental health stuff all throughout that mm -hmm. that could be caused by that or exacerbated by that um so you don't necessarily see that the the you know dealing with it or saying that they struggle with it you don't necessarily see the struggle at all um until it's at that point where it's like the breaking point absolutely yeah yeah and and something i would add to that is it's kind of like a double-edged sword i would say so here are all these people expecting their pastor to be everything and coming to them with everything and then i mean once you're a pastor you have a you have a position of power you know you've you've worked your way up you've done your work in the trenches and you're like yeah like i can do everything and you start if you're not grounded in the word and grounded in jesus like man, you can get a savior complex. How easy is it? And like you guys are saying, like we've been seeing this with, I mean, we could all list the churches where the pastors have fallen, right? And so I think it's both and. It's both the people coming with too much to the pastor and asking the pastor to be everything and the pastor being like, oh, I need to be everything. And I falsely thinking I can be everything instead of both of them being pointed at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the counselor right mm. um, I remember in our ministry classes in undergrad literally my professor every class would have us say in unison pastors are not counselors mm. like we would say that over and over again and it's ingrained in my mind because like yes I'll be like technically ordained in march hopefully and but i need to realize my boundaries as a pastor is i can't treat mental illness um a stat that i have from ed stetzer is 25 percent of people with mental illness first sought out clergy when seeking professional help wow so most people go to clergy first rather than a therapist a counselor it's it is a higher percentage than those who have gone to psychiatrists general medical doctors or anyone else and so pastors need to have this education and the understanding of symptoms of mental illnesses and be able to realize, hey, this is a spiritual issue or, hey, they need medical help. They need a counselor. They need therapists. They need medication. And be willing to not be the savior and say, hey, I'm with you and I'm praying for you and I'll be there for your family, but I'm going right. to send you off to this person. Right. And I feel like the, the um, I mean, every church size is different. Their budgets are different, but I think, you know, churches that are larger are able to, as a way of helping those people say, listen, we can pay for your therapy. You know, a lot of therapies right. aren't, especially counseling, it's not covered by insurance. Right. And so it's like, you know, there's a connection between a really solid, um, like a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor, the church can, a pastor who is like, um, you know, up to speed or has like the vocabulary and able to, has enough training to know, okay, this is deeper than just, you know, I'm having doubts. There's something else going on. Can then say, listen, don't worry. Our church can actually pay for your counseling for the next mm -hmm. however many months. And you don't have to worry about that. And we will get you help. I think that that can be a beautiful partnership between the church and the counseling world. Right. In fact, mm -hmm. I've actually read, I've, I've heard of a few churches in our local area who they pay for all their staff every month to have free counseling. Like it's just, Amazing. it's available to them. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, especially in mm -hmm. church culture. I think we've, you know, you, you grew up a pastor's kid. You said I've grown up, mm -hmm. I've grown up in the church. Jordan and Rob have as well. We've seen enough of what I call the church machine sucking up people and just spitting them out, you know? And mm -hmm. so it's like, 
the idea of having access to mental health help, just like having a gym membership as a perk for working somewhere is such an important part, I think, of getting people more aware of, you know, hey, your, your mind is a muscle, your mind can get mm -hmm. sick, and that's normal. And also, if you don't mind, I'll say one more thing. When I was going through my whole thing, you know, stuff, I realized for the first time how common it was. Like, you feel like you're so alone. Yeah. But as you, as you talk to people, they're like, yeah, me too. You're like, wait, I've known you for like 10 years. You too? I've never known that part about you. So it's almost kind of comforting to know that it's a very human experience to experience yeah. anxiety. You know, people in the Bible, I'm sure, have experiences as well. So it's helpful to know that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it's a lot it's a lot to take in and I think I've I am I've just been fascinated as I've studied and researched this over the last few years of like man how much do our pastors take on and you know me as becoming a pastor too like eventually like how much do I need to set boundaries for myself like how much do you know, do I need to be accountable to other people? Do I, I'm still going to see a counselor. Even when I become a counselor, I'm going to go to a counselor, you know? And mm -hmm. so it's accountability that we need to hold each other to. So no, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, yeah, it's, um, you know, again, Robin and Jordan, I have talked, have talked about this a lot, but the, the CEO enterprise church model, I think is really dangerous for the CEO mm -hmm. pastor. It just, it, it's for most people, it's not sustainable. I mean, it just isn't, yeah. you know, and unless you establish mm -hmm. that, that, um, fivefold, I call it the fivefold death punch, you know, the fivefold ministry, the teacher, <laughs> evangelist, prophet, you know, apostle, unless you establish that team around you and have a team that leads with you, I just think mm -hmm. that it's a, just a matter of time <laughs> before yeah. something is either your family will suffer, your mental health is going to suffer, your something is going to suffer that that, yeah. that doesn't need to. Because like you yeah. said, this, this uh, pastor savior complex, it's a thing because people have good motives, right? They want to help. Right. Pastors don't go into ministry, right. most of them anyway, don't think I'm going to make millions of dollars doing this. They go because they want to help people. So this is just a great way. You know, it's, it's easy to fall into the trap right. of, of helping too much. For sure, mm. and yeah. right. uh, what do you what do you guys think about? Uh, I heard someone say once that um, the church is really good at turning our addictions or our mental illnesses that we come to Jesus with into socially acceptable versions of them. So somebody they come to the gospel and they they get saved. And, you know, they give their life to Christ, whatever the terminology is that you use. And they were an alcoholic or a drug addict. And they give that up. That night, they gave their life to Jesus. They never looked back. But since then, they've put on 60 pounds. So you obviously have a food problem. They have poured themselves into both ministry and work and sacrificed their own health and their own needs and the needs of their family. So there's obviously some workaholic or some, um, some of those tendencies, obsessive tendencies. And so we've taken what is a socially unacceptable addiction to drugs or mm. alcohol and in, in Christianity turned it into a socially acceptable one, but mm. we've never dealt with the, the heart of the mental illness. Um, and it's, it's not because of you know anything that jesus was incapable of doing 
but it's something as a culture that we were incapable of addressing. I got to sit on that one. That That's a good thought right there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's really powerful, Rob, because it is, it's true. Um, it's like when people say, you shouldn't smoke because your body is the, you know, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit while they're like morbidly obese. And you're like, mm -hmm. right. yeah, <laughs> I will definitely stop doing that immediately. <laughs> like, thank <laughs> you for the great feedback. You know, like there are socially ac acceptable things that are kind of funny that scripture talks about, right? That is not, is not funny at all. Then there are things mm -hmm. that our culture and the church kind of agree upon or like maybe not good habits to have. And once those are gone, we're kind of like, yeah, you're good now. Even though, like you said, Rob, you know, you, maybe you've gained weight or, you know, you're, you're working like a, like, like, like a madman. That's just the American way. Hard work, hard work, hard work. But like biblically, is that, is that the model we see? I'm not really sure mm -hmm. if it is. I remember growing up and having friends and their dad was a smoker. And I remember that like just every time we'd be over their house, like we all knew he was. It wasn't like he hid it or anything. And they all went to our church. The whole family went to our church. And growing up, I was always like, oh, he's a smoker. Like, why, why would he do that? He's a Christian. And I feel like yeah. now as an adult, I'm more like, he was actually a really great person. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that actually had absolutely nothing to do with like how, who yes. he was as a Christ follower or <laughs> as a father or anything like that. Yes, I'm guilty um, of that. So yeah. guilty. <laughs> For sure. If he was, if he was a smoker, he was a villain somehow. Right. In a comic yeah. Book. <laughs> Yes, yes. Couldn't yes. possibly be a Christian. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, he smokes. No. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's Disney's fault. All the villains smoke. <laughs> I blame Disney. Oh, that's fine. Disney's an easy scapegoat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Olivia, did you want to talk a little bit about? Um, you mentioned something that kind of intrigued me that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, which was um, characters in the Bible that might have had mental illnesses. Yeah. Well, tell yeah. me more so about that. <laughs> I'm really fascinated. Let's let's talk about it. Um, so some of them, I mean, so there's this little known character uh, I want to talk about. His name's David. Um, he uh, okay. he dealt <laughs> with a lot of yeah. real minor character in the Bible. <laughs> real minor character made a lot of good choices, um, but he. Uh, but David, I mean, honestly, if you look at the whole book of Psalms, and honestly, David is like kind of the most clear choice, but his Psalms kind of <laughs> vary the breadth of um, human emotion, right? And mm. you can pretty clearly, I mean, if you read some of them, you're like, like I, uh, Psalm 6 says, like, I wet my bed with my tears. I groan day and night. My bones ache with it. Like, literal like physical symptoms that we sounds like me know. four years ago <laughs> <laughs> oh i believe me i've read those poems in while crying tears <laughs> but mm -hmm. you're like man like oh david like i get it like those of us who've like really lived through depression like yeah that's what i felt like mm -hmm. and man like david was a man after god's own heart and he was depressed and I think had a great deal of anxiety and so especially when I think of David and I'm like man and we can be really hesitant to put people with mental illness in positions of leadership mm. and I, I do think there's with like if you're a threat to yourself or to others you shouldn't right. be in a position of leadership but David struggled with depression and anxiety and was one of the greatest leaders 
in all of history, mm. <laughs> period. Yeah. And so if congregants are looking at church leaders like, oh, I, like, and their pastors being vulnerable about, I struggle with depression, I struggle with anxiety. I want to point them to scripture and be like, hey, look at David. <laughs> and then look at right. Elijah and look at Naomi and look at Job. Like those are characters that we like, man, strongholds of our faith that we look up to. And they really seriously dealt with mental illnesses, I believe. And so, um, so those are some examples. But I mean, if you read Job and the story of Naomi and Elijah, like Elijah literally said, like, I want to commit suicide. Like I mm. wanted, I want to die. Yeah. Like that is heavy. Like, sure. Man. And he is in the thick of God's ministry and trying to do what God's telling him. And the Lord's like, Hey, I'm going to provide a way out for you for this. And like he does, but there's some really key moments in scripture where we can turn to and be like, this isn't something new. This yes. is always, this has existed since the fall. And it's because of brokenness and sin that we struggle with mental illness. Um, and the fact that it is physical, but it also can be spiritual at times. You know, we're not denying that it can't be. I do like really want to make that clear. No, I mean, um, David played the yeah. harp, right? For, uh, for Saul, like that was part yeah. of what like, you know, made him restful at night. So I think that there's definitely, like you said, we really, I think in our culture and our worldview, we kind of separate the spiritual from the physical, but I think that in the Bible, they're really linked, you know, they're, they're kind of one and the same. So I don't right. think that like the biblical authors had this, like, well, is it just your, your mind or is it a spirit? They're probably, they're probably like, yeah, like it's, <laughs> it's both. Cause they're, they're the same exact thing. Um, right. I just, I just recently read through, um, Ecclesiastes mm. and you know, yeah. it's kind of funny how that's a very depressing book, but if you're <laughs> depressed, it's kind of comforting. I was really anxious for a couple of days, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I'm like, you know, I just feel like, you know, things are meaningless. Like there's nothing to look forward to. So I'm like, I'm going through Ecclesiastes. And the first thing, meaningless, meaningless. Life is, I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Thank you. Like, I, mean, I thought about the same exact thing that you said, Olivia, where I'm like, this is nothing new. These feelings are mm -hmm. not new. This perspective is not new. It's so not new that the ancient writers of the, of the Torah and of the wisdom literature are recording these things and God thought it was so important that we know it that he canonized it as his yeah. word to us. So so clearly clearly this stuff is essential to human health and essential to mm -hmm. our emotional spiritual to our our body health is realizing mm -hmm. that not only is it dare I say normal and mm -hmm. not and not abnormal to experience this stuff mm -hmm. but the like you said, the greats of the faith, people that we think are almost like, we almost over-moralize them, right? Like, oh, yeah, so David slept with someone and killed the husband, big deal. Like, imagine that today. Imagine if Stephen Furtick slept with someone else's wife and then killed them. I mean, we'd be like, there's, you know, the, the whole reform crowd would be like, there's the proof that Furtick is a heretic. He's not really, you know, all this stuff is coming out. You know, I'm just saying, like, it, would be, it would be such a scandal. He'd be in prison for life. So I think that we... When we read the Bible, we think, oh, it wasn't that bad. But take the situation and put it now, and it's terrible. So yeah. clearly, clearly God is, you know, a big fan of using people despite their moral failings. Like this, mm. this very clean Christianity that we have today, this like moralist 
Christianity like, where you can't do or say the wrong thing or have the anger problem without, you know, if you do, you can't be in, you know, serving or in leadership. I just kind of look like, well, what book are we reading? <laughs> I mean, like, are we reading the same book? That just doesn't seem to be how God mm -hmm. tends to work when it comes to people. And, yeah. and going with that, you know, we, we like to think that our churches are safe places, but they're not because if you're not able to come unmasked and in the truest sense of who you are and you feel like everyone else is expecting me to be why and I'm actually a D but I have to put on the mask of why then that's not a safe place because now not only are you dealing with the things that you're dealing with you're dealing with the mask that's in front of the things that you're dealing with yeah. and never dealing with the things behind the mask so now mm -hmm. you're really dealing with two facades and two issues and it's a very complex it, it makes it even more difficult um, but if we're going to talk about safe places, that's where we have to start is to be able to come together and see one another as exactly how we are and what we are and what we're dealing with. And Tim, I, I, I really liked what you were saying because what resonated with me was that nothing I'm going to go with or go through with, go through and nothing that I'm maybe going to have the opportunity to help someone else go through is new or a surprise to God mm -hmm. because he has seen people through very similar things and he knows how to be, like you said earlier, he knows how to be the comforter in those situations as well. Uh, not to mention that Jesus, who we believe is God, also had major anxiety. I mean, to the point where he's sweating blood. So unless you hit that level, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you know, if the, the God of the universe is so compassionate when we don't deserve it, that he, you know, in God incarnate on earth, let himself experience those dark nights of the soul, so to speak, knowing he's about to go, you know, go through one of the most torturous ways to die on the planet that humankind has ever devised. And he's like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. And he's having, it sounds like a panic attack, frankly, the way he's, you know, the way the wording is, you're like, this guy is freaking out. So it's, it, it should give us comfort and not that, not that this will solve your anxiety or your depression, but it should give us comfort in knowing that we're not alone. And that honestly, I think is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most helpful steps towards recovery. I think for a lot of people of anxiety or, you know, just mental health is knowing it's okay. You're not alone. I, the empathy level, I think goes through the roof. Once you've gone through something like this, you know, your empathy just, that was the gift that came to me, honestly, after like three years of, of, you know, or two years was, empathy for other people who now when they tell me I'm really panicky today, I just want to cry. I mean, I'm just like, I, I totally get it. How can I help? That is not, that is not the Tim Whitaker from six years ago. <laughs> Tim Whitaker six years ago was like, okay, if you need me, give me a call. See you. Bye. You know, like that was not the version <laughs> that, that you're looking at now, but that was the gift that it taught me. So I'm forever in that, in that sense, I'm forever, forever grateful for what happened, even though I don't wish it on anyone, you know? Um, we are getting close to running out of time here. I want, I want to respect Jordan and Olivia's time. So Olivia, any final thoughts you have? I mean, we, we'd love to have you back on at some point. I feel like we're just kind of getting warmed up here, but any yeah. final thoughts for this episode that you have that you want to give us? Yeah, I, I think just kind of tapping on to what you guys were kind of talking about, uh, just like the hope of Jesus, you know, and the empathy that comes with that. Um, Rick Warren actually says like, 
one third of Jesus's ministry on earth was healthcare. Like, just think about that. Like one socialist ministry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what, like, what, like that means something like Jesus went to the lepers. Jesus went to the demon possessed. The people were people that had like schizophrenia in scriptures. Like he went to all of them. And there's one section of scripture that I just love where it talks about Jesus was up all night healing people. And I love that scripture. And it's just a tiny verse, but it means something because when you think of Jesus and how powerful he was, he could have just gone out, looked at the crowd, said, boom, you're all healed, and then gone in and slept. But no, he instead took time and looked into the eyes of each person and said, I know your pain. I feel your pain, and I'm going to touch you and heal you. And that takes a God that I am uh, dedicated to follow and love, you know? And so, yeah, for those of you uh, people listening that are struggling with mental illness or uh, go to a church that doesn't support you and finding counselors, I've talked to people that said, if I came forward that I had mental illness, my church would excommunicate me. Like I've literally had people say that to me. And um, I mean, you can feel free to reach out to me over social media or these guys here, but really like people are available, but man, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate counselor and he can hear you, but there are counselors available. There's help out there. There's medication that might be able to help you. Like, mm -hmm. but there is hope. And that is, I think that's the real message I want to get across is like, mm -hmm. there is hope and, uh, and renewing of the mind and, um, in Romans 8, 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so understanding that our hope doesn't lie within ourselves, but completely in Jesus and the renewing that that can bring. That can be partly in this lifetime and then partly in eternity. So final message of hope. <laughs> uh, well, it's a great message yeah. and we love having you on the podcast. It was great talking about this. We'd love to get you back on at some point. I'm sure we will. And uh, to continue the conversation, because I feel like there's so much here. There yeah. are so many connections to where this can go, but it's great having you on. We wish you the best in your um, your journey in ministry and with education. And of course, playing those four chords really well. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you know every voicing of them now possible, oh, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> yep, every single one of them. <laughs> so thanks for coming on. And uh, Thank thanks everyone for hanging out with us and listening. You know, like Olivia said, um, if you are struggling with mental health, uh, you're not alone. We've been there. We are there some days for sure. Um, there um, is always hope. So if you are in crisis, please let us know. We'd love to help you out. There are great counselors, um, psychologists, people who are trained to help the mind. And that is so important. So um, see if, if you are struggling with it as far as a spiritual or physical thing, see it that God has given people the gift to heal the mind. So either way, God is working through them to help you. Thank so you. and that, uh, on that note, thanks for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.